Proverbs. Proverbs, we will be in chapter 1 this morning as we start this series. Now, Proverbs, the first, eight, first seven verses, and we're going to talk through the first eight, but the first seven verses are like a preface or prologue. It's kind of setting up why Proverbs was written. And then the rest of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 9 is like a discourse. And almost every chapter is a different, you could preach them chapter by chapter. And then from chapter 10 on, it's just like Solomon went full ADHD. And there's just like these pithy statements like that don't have any connection to each other, just one right after the other, after the other. And I love that type of thinking. That's how my brain works. It's just like all these different random thoughts. So what we're going to do with this series is we're not going to preach verse by verse, line by line. We're going to do ideas, uh, topics. Uh, that talks about family, about speech, about sex, all these different things that the book of Proverbs talks about. We're going to take topics of them. Next week, we'll be talking about the fear of the Lord. Because it says in verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom and knowledge. So next week, the topic will be the fear of the Lord. And then from there, we're going to do multiple topics. Well, how many weeks are we going? I don't know yet. And we're just going to kind of see how it goes. And, and I'm excited to do this because Proverbs is uh, something we would call wisdom literature. Now, in God's word, there's, um, there's wisdom literature. Proverbs is part of that. Ecclesiastes is part of that. The book of Job is part of that. There's portions of the Psalms that are considered wisdom literature, um, but all of these things, but it's primarily written by King Solomon. Now, King Solomon was King David's son. King David was the famous king of the most famous king of Israel. We know him for his many feats of war, killing Goliath, kill, killing bears and lions with his bare hands. But Solomon is his son, and he's king after David. Now, in First Kings, it says that he wrote, he spoke three thousand proverbs. And his songs were 1,005. I love the specificity. 3,000 proverbs and his songs. He wrote 1,005, not four, not six, 1,005 songs. Uh, we know he's responsible for um, two of the Psalms, at least in the book of Psalms. And now it says in Proverbs 31, it says that that was written by King Lemuel, uh, which most scholars believe that it was probably Solomon. Um, but in the end, Solomon wrote the majority of the book of Proverbs. Now, after Solomon was anointed king, if we go to 1 Kings chapter 3, if you want to turn there, you'll be welcome to. After Solomon was anointed king, it says in 1 Kings 3, verse 3, Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. He loved God. But one night, in verse 5, when he was at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, God asked, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father. But then down in verse 7, he says that God asked him, like in, in, in verse 5, when God asked him what did Solomon want, in verse 7, Solomon says, and now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am a little child, I do not know how to go out or to come in. I love Solomon's wisdom here and his humility at the beginning of his life, the beginning of him being a king as a young man. He's like, God, I don't know how to do this. God, you've made me king over your people, but I don't know how to do this. I don't even know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. I don't know how to do this. So he's asking God for wisdom. 
I do not know how to go out or to come in, verse 8, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself for long life or for riches or for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you wise, a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before and none shall be like you after. Scripture says that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. If we would go on in 1 Kings, like to chapter 10, we would then begin to see how God begins to multiply his possessions after, God, after he builds a temple and all of his possessions. He was, he was very wealthy. And it says in chapter 10 that the queen of Sheba, which would have been the queen of Ethiopia, who was a very powerful, prominent woman, came and like wanted to see of all these things that she had heard about Solomon, the things that he's built, his wisdom. And she found it just as she had been told. All of these things, his great wealth. He was a powerful man. He was a wise man. But then in verse 11, or chapter 11, we see that Solomon turns from the Lord. So Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, who walked in the statutes of the Lord for a season of his life, towards the end of his life, he, became very, he, he did very ungodly things. See, God had told them, that they are not to marry into other, uh, into other people groups. Now, it wasn't because God was against interracial marriage. Like, can we just quote that? Because I still hear that sometimes in the church, and it's, like, it's, it's, it's unimaginable to me that there'll be Christians that still think it would be wrong to have interracial marriage. That's not what God was saying. What he was saying was that if you marry into those other religions, there's other people groups who worship false gods. They will draw your heart away from God. And what Solomon did, he married women that he wasn't supposed to. As a matter of fact, he had 700 wives. Come on, that's funny. Laugh. I lighten up. 700 wives. What was he thinking? And then on top of that, he had 300 concubines. That's girlfriends. A thousand. Did he know their names? So at the end of his life, he, he fell away from the Lord, and he became very foolish. He did harmful things. He, and then he wrote uh, just how, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, you can see, he says, everything is meaningless. He experienced everything that you could possibly experience, and he was like, it was all meaningless. But yet in Proverbs, he writes some incredible wisdom. And one of the key words in this whole study will be the word Wisdom. Another key that we will see in this book that we will dive into next week is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 4, verse 7, it says this, the beginning of wisdom is this. I love this. And then it says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Get wisdom. Like the beginning of wisdom is this, get it. Like go get something. So Proverbs is given for us to make us wise and discerning. As I said, the first, eight, first seven verses are a bit of a prologue, a bit of an introduction. And so let's read the first eight verses. 
Verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, a king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I'm including verse 8 here just so we see whom he is writing to. Hear my son, your father's instruction. He's writing to his son. Point number one, what is a proverb? All right, we, need to, uh, we need to understand what a proverb is. It's a, it's a short, catchy statement given to impart wisdom. Uh, it's a short, catchy statement that and it's a short amount of words that it describes or explains something, a bigger concept, a bigger idea, a bigger truth. It's, it's a short, easy to remember statement. It's something that we, it's packed with wisdom. It's a short, pithy statement that comes packed with all kinds of wisdom. Now, modern examples of Proverbs that aren't from the Bible, but like many hands make light work. We've heard that, right? Many hands make light work. Now, that's largely true, but it's not always true, right? Because when you have a lot of kids helping with something, sometimes that creates more work. How about when we're parents? We're trying to teach our children to do stuff, and you're like, it's just easier if I do it myself, right? Because many hands sometimes makes more work. But the reality is the majority of the time, many hands make light work unless you're making soup. Then there's too many cooks, and the soup's not going to be very good, most likely, right? But, but that's a modern proverb. Another one would be, strike while the iron is hot. How many of you have heard that statement? Strike while the iron is hot. What that means is there's an opportunity right now. You better take advantage of it right now. The iron's hot, strike it now. So it's a modern proverb. It's not in the Bible. How about this one? Don't bite the hand that feeds you. That must have been spoken by someone who bent down to feed their dog that was possessive of the dog dish and it bit him. If my dog bit me while I was feeding, I wouldn't feed it for a while. I'm just saying. But don't bite the hand that feeds you. How about this one? Actions speak louder than words. It's just a modern proverb. And that's true, right? I don't care what you're like. Actions speak louder than words. It's a modern proverb. Um, don't bite off more than you can chew. We know what that means, right? Don't, 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 don't overpromise and underdeliver. Like, don't bite off more than you can chew. But I'm the person, I, I'm optimistic. I always think that I can do more in the amount of time that I have than I can actually do. Anybody else like that? I just, I think, well, I have four hours. Like, I got time, and all of a sudden, like, all of a sudden, you're out of four hours, and you didn't get it done. Like, but don't bite off more than you can chew. It's a modern proverb. How about this one? The early bird gets the worm. We've heard that. Uh, that's a modern proverb that's actually, I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. Like, and, I, and honestly, if you look at the majority of very successful people, they're early to bed, they're early to rise, right? The early bird gets, no, it's just a modern proverb that's largely true. Now, there's a difference. Some of you don't care about this. Some of you will. Uh, but I just want to explain. There's a difference between idioms and proverbs. Now, I didn't know much about this till this week, and so like when I was reading and studying this, like people, like, you need to understand the difference between an idiom and a proverb, but I didn't, <laughs> so I had to figure it out. An idiom is, uh, it's, it's something different. An idiom, an idiom would be like this, like it's raining cats and dogs. 
That's not a proverb. It's an idiom. It's, it's using different words that have nothing to do with what you're trying to explain. Does that make sense? Like, it's raining cats and dogs. It's not raining cats and dogs. What it means, it just means it's raining really hard. But I got to be honest, when I was a young child, the first time I heard that statement, I glanced out the window. Really? Oh, it just means it's raining hard. Okay, that's an idiom. And then there's these things that they call um, an idiomatic proverb. Really? Do we have to get in that deep of weeds? All right, what is an idiomatic proverb? It's like you can't have your cake and eat it too. Right? Does it make sense? It's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a proverb. It's a bit of an idiom. And we all know what that means. You can't have your cake and eat it too. But cake is only good when it's fresh, so just eat it, right? It has nothing to do with the proverb. But these are things... So I'm going to give you a working definition this morning of a proverb. This is not my definition, but just a, it's a brief poetic saying meant to teach us wisdom. What is a proverb? It is a brief poetic statement meant to teach us wisdom. It's things we can remember. And there's many proverbs. If you've been studying God's word or reading God's word for any length of time, there's proverbs that just stick in your mind. And um, proverbs, we need to understand them. So a proverb, it's a brief poetic statement meant to give you wisdom. But a proverb, proverbs in God's word are not promises. They're probables. They're, they're, they're things that are uh, largely true. But sometimes people claim proverbs as promises when they are in fact not. They're generalizations about life, not promises for us to claim. Like this one, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay, some things there. Train up with the child in the way he should go. Okay. What does that mean? The way God would have them go. Not the way you, the parent, would have them go. The way God would have them go. Who he's created them to be. Train up the child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, the reality is the majority of time when you train up children and you raise them up in the way they should go, they're going to turn out well. The likelihood if you don't train them up well and raise them well, the likelihood that they turn out poorly is much greater, Right? But it's not a promise because I've seen parents who've raised their children well and trained them well and they walk away. But it's like it's largely true. Train up a child in the way he should go and when he's old he won't depart from it. It's a, it's a probable. It's not a promise. Proverbs 3 verse 1 and 2 talks about that, that the righteous or the wise will, will be wealthy. Now, well, that's not true of all righteous and wise people. But here's the thing we have to understand. As American Christians, we're all wealthy. Like we're all wealthy. Like, like we think, well, well like I, because wealth is always the person who's in the next tax bracket above us, right? It's not us, but there's always someone looking at you saying, well, you're wealthy. But I tr like, promise you, if you would go see how the majority of the Christians in the world live, we are wealthy. Even our poor people generally have plenty to eat. But it's a proverb, like, but not, only, not all godly people, in Proverbs 3, not all godly people live long lives. It says, but the wise, they will, they will live long and prosper, but not all godly people do. But the principle is that if you obey God's word, if you honor your parents, it brings God's blessing on you. And God's blessing often leads to long life and greater prosperity, but it's not a promise, it's not a guarantee. Because there are Christians that I know, especially in other parts of the world, who are suffering, who die early deaths because they don't have the medical attention we have. They don't have the food we have. They don't have, they don't have the things that we have. And trust me, they are just as wise and godly and righteous as I am. But they won't live as long a life because the expectancy of their life in their country is just much shorter. 
Not because of who they are, but where they live. But they are Proverbs, brief poetic statements meant to teach us wisdom. Number two, why is Proverbs written? Why is it written? Well, verses two through six kind of lay it out to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to read instruction, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Why is Proverbs written? Well, we see it right away in verse 2, uh, to give wisdom, to know wisdom. Wisdom. Now, it's important to understand that wisdom, if you're a wise person, doesn't necessarily mean you have an I, a high IQ. You could, but it doesn't mean you have a high IQ. It doesn't mean you have a lot of letters after your name. It could, but just because you're like, like have a lot of education doesn't necessarily make you wise. Now, a, an old preacher that I, that I still listen to sometimes, tell me if you know who J. Vernon McGee was. J. Vernon McGee. Um, he, this Bible program is called um, The Bible Bus or something. I still, I, I, I got to be honest, I don't love the tone of his voice, but I love what he has to say. And I remember, when, and, and J. Vernon McGee was a, a PhD. He, was, he had his PhD. I think he had several of them, but he said many PhDs are educated beyond their intelligence. It's sort of like sometimes we get so much stuff in our brain and it, you don't have to just have a PhD or have a formal education to be educated beyond your intelligence, but it's like a computer that has too many programs open. They just get slowed down. They just can't think properly. And sometimes, like just because we have a high IQ or have a lot of education doesn't necessarily mean we'll be wise. It's not the same thing. It could be. I mean, it doesn't mean that you won't be. But wisdom... It's to, to know it, to get more. And some of your translations wouldn't say to know wisdom. It says to gain wisdom and instruction. To know, to gain. Proverbs is given to give us wisdom, that we would know it, that we would gain it, that we would get understanding. Wisdom and understanding that would be wise people. Instruction. This word here, instruction, means to discipline. Proverbs is given to discipline us, to instruct us, just like a parent would instruct his son. And part of that instruction, some, or his daughter, some of that instruction sometimes means discipline, right? It means discipline. God disciplines those whom he loves. If you never feel disciplined by God, that's a concerning thing, see? Because God disciplines, he instructs those whom he loves. Proverbs 12, verse 1, we will see this later in our study. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates reproof is stupid. Like, well, don't say stupid. It's in the Bible. Uh, your rules are your rules at your house. If it's in the Bible, I get to say it. Because I have to read God's word, right? Come on, some of you, like, lighten up. Whoever loves Reproof, who loves instruction, who loves discipline, loves knowledge. The person who loves to be instructed, disciplined, is a wise person. They love knowledge. They love wisdom. But whoever hates reproof or instruction or discipline is stupid. It's simply what Solomon says. Proverbs 13, 24, it says, it's instructions to parents, whoever spares the rod, we know this proverb, hates his son, but who loves him, is diligent to discipline him. So this is that awkward thing. Like when a parent, and we'll get to this in a couple weeks, yes, I do believe spanking is biblical, done in a godly way in love, but isn't it so awkward when you spank your child and you're like, I'm doing this because I love you. <laughs> They're like, yeah, whatever, dad. 
whatever. But whoever loves his son is diligent to discipline. Whoever, if you spare the rod, it literally says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. Whoever fails to discipline their child, he's instructing parents. He's letting us know. See, that's what he's doing. Proverbs is given to instruct us as parents. It will instruct us as husbands, as, as wives, at, and about sexuality, all these different things, sexuality, finances, our speech, all of these things. Why is Proverbs written? To give us wisdom and understanding and instruction. In verse 2, he goes, to understand words of insight. Proverbs is given, it is written, so we would understand words of insight. Verse 3, to, re to receive instruction and wise dealing. What does that mean? That it would help us be good business people, that we would deal with our, our, our business wisely, whether it's our personal finances, whether it's in business. It would teach us in wise dealings how to live our lives. It will instruct us. That's why it's written in righteousness and justice and equity. So it's, it's given to instruct us in wise dealings, in righteousness, that we would be righteous people. Uh, it's also that we would be people who seek and fight for justice. That we would be people of equity, fair. It's to instruct us. That's why it's written. It's why it's given. And here it is, to give prudence to the simple. Well, who are the simple? They're the naive. They're people who are untaught. It's people who, uh, being naive or simple doesn't necessarily mean you're young or old. Because I've met plenty of young people who are extremely wise. And I've met some old people who are really simple and naive. Right? Is it? But... But it's to give prudence to the simple. Now, what is shrewdness? It's or a prudence. It's like shrewdness in business. In other words, that you would learn to be discerning. It's not meant in a negative way. I think sometimes we hear the word shrewd, we think it negatively. No. Yet here's the thing you have to learn, and sometimes naive people don't understand this. Do you know that you can't trust everybody? Like you can't trust everybody. Like, like there's there's people that the enemy uses who are divisive, who are harmful, who are seeking their own good, not the good of others. So, but sometimes there's just simple, naive people. You're like, you're around them. You're like, you just, you need a Bible study. Like you, you need to grow in your knowledge of God's word and applying it to your life. And so they would give prudence to the simple, to the naive. And then he goes on and he says, um, and, and knowledge and discretion to the youth, to youth. Now, largely he's speaking to young people here now. That young people, if they read Proverbs, they will get knowledge and discretion. They'll be discerning. They will have greater understanding of how God would have them live. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. But here's the thing. So often when we're in our teen years, we think we know better. But not only then. When we're in our 20s and our 30s. Like I think of things that I said about parenting from the pulpit. When my children were this high, and now that they're reaching adulthood, I would like to go back and slap that 40-year-old self. Like, you didn't have a clue. You didn't get there yet. There's wisdom that comes. Like, many of you have heard this before, but I'll say it again. I was at a preaching conference several years ago. And the guy who was teaching it was a 70-year-old guy, and he was preaching. And uh, the, a lot of the people who were at the preaching conference were younger men. Men, I was 50 years old that year. Guys who I would have thought were in their 30s, you know, 30 years old, 35, uh, 38. And he said about, you know, as you get older, you'll look back at your younger self. And you'll realize that you didn't know near as much as you thought you did when you were younger. 
And I look around the room and I felt pretty good about myself because I was like the grayer hair in the room. It's 50 and like a lot of 30 something. I'm like, yeah, looking around like, yeah, you guys, when you get 50. And he goes, you know, my 70 year old self looks back on my 50 year old self <laughs> and thinks, man, I just didn't know that much. And see, that's the reality. In some sense, we're all youthful. And, and when we're young, we make bold statements about things that when we're older, you're like, I hope nobody remembers I said that. Right? So it's to give knowledge and discretion to youth. That's why it's written. Why is it written? It's written to give knowledge and instruction. But you know, here's the thing. First Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If your knowledge doesn't drive you to a greater love for the Lord and a greater love for humanity, and a greater love for the mission and the gospel of Jesus Christ, your knowledge is of little value. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. But Proverbs is given. Just, but it's not, it's not just about knowing a lot about stuff or about the Bible, because there's lots of people that I know that I would call like Bible fatheads, you know, like a weevil. They know a lot about God's word, but they don't apply it to their lives. And so this knowledge here that he's talking about is that you would apply the truths of God's word to your life. Not just know a bunch of stuff about God, but that you would know God and it would change who you are and how you live. Why is Proverbs written? To give us knowledge and wisdom and discernment and discretion. Verse 4, to give prudence to the simple. Again, again prudence is just this discretion, verse 5, it goes on, and, and verse 5 it says, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Let the wise hear. Like wise people listen. Wise people listen. They listen more than they speak. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Wise people want more guidance. They, they want more counsel. They want more people to speak into their lives. All of these things. Proverbs 9, verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Proverbs 14, uh, verse 20. I'm sorry, Proverbs 20. Plans are established by counsel. Wise people want more counsel. Verse Six carries the same idea as verse five to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. Why is Proverbs given? Why is it written? To make us wise, to increase our understanding, to give us wisdom and instruction in all areas of life. And we will see this in the coming weeks. In all areas of life, in parenting, in our finances, in our sexuality, in our speech, in our work ethic. All these things, it's written for those reasons. Point number three, who is Proverbs for? Who is it for? Well, I'm just, if you read verse eight, hear my son, your father's instruction. If we would go to chapter two, it starts out, my son, if you receive my word, chapter three, my son, do not forget my teaching. Chapter four, hear, O sons, plural. It is given, verse five, my son, be attentive to my word. So Solomon was writing this to his son or to his sons, to to. But it's for everyone. It's for everyone. It's for the wise, 
there's four people, four groups of people that we see in the passage that we looked at this morning. Okay, do you see it? To know wisdom and instruction, to receive instruction, to give prudence to the simple. There's our first group of people, the simple or the naive. It's written for the simple and for the naive. It's written for youth, to give knowledge and discretion to the youth. Verse 5, we see the third group, let the wise hear and increase in learning. The fourth person we see is in verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Who's a written, like, so Proverbs in these first several verses points out four different groups of people. We see this, we see wise people, we see simple, naive people, we see youth, we see fools. But there's a, a fifth group that we will see throughout the book of Proverbs. They are called scoffers, they're called wicked, they're called liars, they're called deceivers. The same group of people, a scoffer. There's five different groups of people. And so next week, we will talk about the fear of the Lord and that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. But today, we want to close with this. There are five groups of people, the simple, the youth, the wise, the fools. And largely what you will see in the book of Proverbs is a compare and contrast between the wise and the fool. But sometimes it will be between the wise and the scoffer. Proverbs 10, a wise man makes his father glad, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. See the compare contrast? A wise son makes his father glad, but a foolish son brings sorrow to his mother. The compare contrast. The two different groups of people. There's the wise and the fool. Um, but we see the fifth person, Proverbs 10, the mouth of the righteous or the wise is a fountain of light, but the mouth of the wicked or the scoffer conceals violence. To compare the contrast between the wise and the scoffer. Proverbs 13, 1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to a rebuke. The wise person fears God. We're going to look at what that means next week. Fears the Lord. is a reverent awe of God. It's a wise person. The simple, the naive. Proverbs is given to give them wisdom, to instruct them. They need a Bible study. They need to grow in their knowledge of God's word. They need to grow in their relationship with the Lord. The simple, the naive. The youth, they're just inexperienced. Just, they just need some years under their belt. And God's word will go along. If they will listen and submit themselves to the authority of God's word, it will do a lot to giving them wisdom and maturity far beyond their years. Then there's the fool. Scripture talks about them as the word is kind of being they're like morons. The moronic. There's those people. Proverbs talks about fools being, they're a babbling fool. They constantly talk. It says that the mouth of the fool brings ruin. It says whoever utters slander is a fool. The way the fool is right in his own eyes. That's the fullest person. The way seems right in their own eyes. The other people say, like, you shouldn't do that, but in their own eyes, it just feels right. And it's like, someone's like, well, that's a foolish person. The fool is reckless and careless, but the fool is not without hope. But what Proverbs says about the scoffer and the wicked is very concerning. Scoffer is someone who combines bitterness and ridicule. It's those who choose to disbelieve or obey God's word says in Proverbs 14, 1, the scoffer says in his heart, there is no God. 
Proverbs 19.29, condemnation is ready for scoffers and beating for the back of fools. It says in 3, verse 34, towards the scorner he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. Who's the humble? The wise, the one who fears God. Who's it written for? It's written for everyone, and there's all different classes of people. Proverbs is written so that the wise and the simple and the naive and the youthful would have discernment to see who fools are and who scoffers are and who the wicked are to not associate with such people. Who is Proverbs for? It's for everyone. And two things that will just come up over and over and over again in this study is the word wisdom, and that's what Proverbs is for, to make us wise. And that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Over and over. It's a starting place. But yet, listen, all of this centers on the gospel. All of it centers on the gospel. And one of the things that can happen when you do a study on a book like Proverbs is all of a sudden we become very moralistic. Doing all the right things. Like, I'm doing all the right things. But the wisest people are the ones who respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And know that we only stand before a holy God in the righteousness of Christ. Not because I'm moral, not because I'm righteous, but because I'm righteous in Christ's righteousness. So that's why we take communion every Sunday at Redeemer, because we want to stay and remain a gospel-centered church. And I don't want us, through this series, to ever lose sight of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is good news. What is the good news? Well, first you have to have bad news. And the bad news is we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And scripture says that the wages of sin is death. That means for my sin, that I deserve literal death and literal hell for eternity. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, he sent Jesus into the world. The good news, here it comes. Jesus came into the world and lived the life that you were intended to live. But you failed. And I failed. He lived it for us. And then he went to the cross and he suffered our shame. He absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf. He died our death. And three days later, he rose victorious over Satan, sin, hell, and death. And for all who put their faith, hope, and trust in him, they are saved. Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the good news of the gospel. Just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. We take communion to remember that. I just feel like this morning I just need to do something for a moment. If um, everyone would just bow their heads and close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you've never responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've never said, God, I confess I'm a sinner. If you've never gone to Jesus Christ for for the forgiveness of your sins, and you want to do that this morning, to receive the finished work of Jesus Christ by faith. It says we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you've never said yes to Jesus, and you want to do that this morning, for the very first time, every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you want to do that, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I just want to pray with you right where you are.
feel the Lord tugging at your heart, pulling? Would you just acknowledge and respond this morning? Communion, you can look up. Communion is given for the believer. Scripture is clear that it's for Christians. So if you're a Christian, you're here this morning, communion is for you. If you're not a Christian, we welcome you. We're so glad you're here. But we would just ask you not participate in this part of our service. You would just, if you have the elements, just drop them in the tray on your way out. It's okay. There's no judgment. Also, if you're a believer and you know you're walking in willful, unrepentant sin, we would just ask that you not take communion this morning. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And when he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it as often as you do in remembrance of me. Father, thank you for your great love for us. That you loved us enough that even while we were dead in our sins, you sent Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice, for your atoning death, for shedding your blood, for rising victorious over Satan, sin, hell, and death for us. We remember you and what you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen.